Are you interested in building a brand and growing a brand? Are you interested in virtual brands and ghost kitchens? Are you interested in franchising, either as a franchisee or as a franchisor? If any of that stuff is of interest to you today, don't go anywhere. We're interviewing Kelly Roddy, who's the CEO of WowWorks, parent company for SaladWorks, sharing all of his insight from uh, nearly three years at the helm of that company as they are in uber growth mode. Tons, tons of great uh, information to share. Don't go anywhere. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the hospitality industry. Each week I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build a more profitable and a more sustainable business. I also work directly with operators all over the world through my group coaching programs to address and overcome the specific challenges we face in our industry. Curious to learn more? Set up a free 45-minute strategy session at restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. That call is with me. I can show you how simple it can be to run a profitable restaurant. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Thousands of restaurants across the country use KickFin to send instant cashless tip payouts directly to their employees' bank accounts the second their shift ends. It's a really simple solution to a really big problem. Because let's face it, paying out cash tips to your workers day after day, shift after shift, is kind of a nightmare. Tedious tip distribution takes managers away from work that matters. It's hard to track payments, which leads to accounting and compliance headaches. Plus, cash tip outs create the perfect opportunity for theft, and there's never enough cash on hand to pay out those tips. So managers are constantly having to make bank runs. Bottom line, there's never been a secure, efficient way to tip out until now. Meet Kickfin. KickFin is an easy-to-use software that sends real-time cashless tip payouts straight to your employees' bank accounts 24-7, 365 days a year. Tipping out with KickFin gives managers and operators hours back in their day. It makes reporting a breeze and protects your business from mistakes and theft. And employees love it, so it's one of the best recruiting tools out there. Best of all, restaurants can have KickFin up and running overnight. Employees can enroll in seconds. No hardware, no contracts, no setup fees. Get in touch today for a personalized demo and see how restaurants and bars across the country are tipping out with KickFin. Visit kickfin.com slash demo. As always, that link is in the show notes. So my guest on today's show is a gentleman named Kelly Roddy. He is the CEO of WowWorks, uh, which is the umbrella company for a company probably a lot of you know, uh, SaladWorks and a couple other brands. Uh, Kelly, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. No, I appreciate it. There's a lot I want to talk about today. Um, But before we do that, uh, just to give everybody some context, uh, can you uh, give me the background? Give me your background. Tell me where you came from, what you've been doing, and how you came to... Uh, the whole salad works wow works uh, family okay well let's see I started uh, my career in restaurants really not in restaurants and in, in the grocery stores and so you know I, I started working post-college for a big behemoth company called Walmart and and they were introducing the super center division and believe it or not things were actually made fresh from scratch in the first few Walmarts until they realized that that was uh, a big undertaking for what was, you know, become, you know, um, uh, several thousand super centers across the, the U.S. And so I left there and did a couple other things, but ended up in a, in a grocery chain called HEB in Texas. And I did a number of things there from, you know, merchandising and marketing and operations and worked my way up in, in that company to a point where I was I was recruited by a holding company called Focus Brands, owned by Rourke Capital, a private equity firm out of Atlanta. And they had just purchased a brand called Schlotsky's Deli. 
and they brought me on uh, to run the brand as president of the brand and you know then we we evolved focus brands from what was the small uh you know Car carvel ice cream cinnabon and schlotzky's to what it is today <clears throat> which is you know most southwest grill uh, McAllister's deli annie Ann's pretzels uh jamba juice and Seattle's Best Coffee International, and so they've got their seven or eight brands, and they're they're growing. And you know, I spent a dozen years doing that. And uh, from there, I I left uh, Focus Brands and um, was hired by a private equity firm out of New York called Centerlane Partners to come and try to do the same thing here. And we started with Salad Works two and a half years ago, and. Um, Within a year, we created a holding company called WowWorks. And the idea around WowWorks was not to be another restaurant company. Uh, and the, we felt like the world didn't need another restaurant holding company. So we tried to create something really unique and different. And we called it WowWorks because the original brand was Salad Works. <clears throat> and we took the works, which we thought was this, this it conjured up this, uh, thing in your mind where there's something being made and something being created, right? And so we said, okay, well, let's let's create this thing that this factory that that creates thing it creates wow, and and the wow being sort of became our filter. It's like we're only going to add brands that are wow. We're only going to hire people that are wow. We're only going to roll out new programs that are wow. You and you really need a brand an internal brand filter that says. Hey, this is what we're going after. It's and it's uh, you don't know you can't define wow. You can't really write it out and define exactly what it is, but you know it when you see it. It's kind of like cool. You don't know it, but if you see it, you know when it. You know it, right? And so I love that. So then we said, okay, well, wow also stands for watch out world because we're really going to grow this thing. And and so our focus has been to only buy brands. And bring together brands that are good for you. And so, so we look at, um, you know, the, the brands we we will have as of this next week. We'll have six brands in the portfolio, and wow. they will be, and they're all good for you brands. And so, good for you in, in a way that, um, you know, the the food we buy is clean. And so. Uh, at least we try to make it as clean as possible. So no additives, no preservatives. So if we make a tortilla, it should mold within like a day because it doesn't have preservatives. Where if you go to the grocery store and you buy tortillas, it could last way too long, right? And <laughs> and what makes it last that long is probably not good to be putting into your body, right? And so, so that's how we look at it. And occasionally with the supply chain issues we all face today, Occasionally, you end up getting a substitution, and it may not be a clean product. So we don't really shout it from the rooftops, but that's our goal. And and we, you know, we we think that we're the first to really approach it this way. So there's so much that you said that I want to unpack, and I'm just I'm just wondering how far I want to go back. I want to go back and talk about sort of your uh, your upbringing, your uh, your your retail stuff in a second. But but I want to focus. I want to stay here on SolidWorks and specifically because now that market is really crowded that that space is really crowded and certainly the audience um can appreciate that what salad works is and what salad works does um you sort of compete with a lot of other sort of brands so how do you think about that when you came to to manage this this brand to, to oversee it how how do you separate a brand like that from everything else out there and certainly it's gotten more crowded over the last five years let's say so we look at uh, yeah there, <clears throat> there are a few competitors in the salad space i would say as we looked at it most of them are all company owned and there are only a handful that actually franchise so we really want to be in the franchising business right and we yep what that allows is us to grow faster without a lot of capital outlay but it also creates an opportunity for you or anyone on the street that feels like they have the they've saved up enough money they have a passion for food they have a passion for 
look they look at food as fuel and they're and they're usually into fitness and they are you know these are people who want to have their own business but really don't know how to do it and so that's why you go after a franchise right because it's you know this this franchise has been around over 30 years and so it's we've learned how to do it well right and yep. and, and even though there are a lot of players they're all fairly small and we're, we're the largest by unit count by far and so so we thought it was a great opportunity to take a, a brand that's been around for a long time it's really good put a professional management team in place and you know knowing what we were going to do with adding additional brands and doing a shared service model where basically you have one IT department for all the brands right. and you can save money like that, <clears throat> that we could really invest in, in a brand. And so we, we thought it was a, a really good opportunity be combining the, you know, the health aspect of salad works along with the ability for people to, to want to own it and invest in it. But then going one rung down on the, you know, so if those are your your franchisees, you know, your partners there. So from a consumer perspective, I mean, obviously this this tilt towards health food and all that is, is a deliberate uh, move on your part. How did you, I mean, there are tons of health food uh, or, or healthy, clean brands out there. How did you start going to cherry pick the brands that you brought into the portfolio? So we talked to a lot of brands, right? And so, so they're, first of all, they have to meet the criteria that they are good for you, right? So, you know, we look at the size of the brand. So it's good for you, A, the size of it has to be big enough to make it worthwhile and, or, or we have enough belief that it's big enough that they've done enough things well to get as big as they are. So that's sort of a filter. Mm -hmm. Then we, I mean, we cold call people. So we pick up the phone and we call and say, Hey, how's it going? Would you like to sell your business? And then we, then we start the conversation. Mm -hmm. We do as much research as we can on the brand. We usually go visit the brand and look at their, order a lot of the food. And so <clears throat> we go, yeah, this makes a lot of sense for us. We buy similar products, so therefore we can get a better cost because we have more buying power if we add this brand. And so there's a number of things we look at, and then we call the usually the owners and say, you know, what what's your exit strategy? And sometimes they say, no, we're happy, and thanks for calling. You know, check back in a few years. Hmm. And then so that's but eventually we run across people who say, yeah, I'd be open to you know, an entertaining uh, an option to sell my company. So that's what we did. So this was, so you were really plugged into this role, like you said, with the idea of expansion, of really taking uh, SolidWorks bigger and adding this whole portfolio of brands uh, around there. So how has SolidWorks, just, just to stay focused on that, how has SolidWorks grown over the last couple of years as you've sort of, I mean, I assume it's going well because you've been able to, I don't want to say split your focus, but focus in other areas. Um, but talk to me about, I mean, you obviously came to this company, I guess, almost three years ago. So you came to this uh, right before the uh, the rug got pulled out from under uh, all of us. So talk to me about your experience first with SalidWorks and, and, and that brand, and then talk to me about the, this other ex expansion. So let's focus on SalidWorks. And so I, you know, it was pre-pandemic. And we, we took, a, I took personally a close look at SolidWorks and realized that there was, you know, really good product, really good menu items, and was very, was already focused on good for you. We weren't really telling the story that well, but it was focused, it was a good for you brand. And then I looked at the unit level economics and I thought we can improve this. And there's some things we can do to improve the unit level economics. And at the time the brand wasn't doing much around digital sales. Uh, and we knew uh, that, you know, from our experience at uh, Focus Brands that we could really improve the digital sales. Remember, remember again, pre-pandemic, we're mm -hmm. doing a lot of third party. Yeah. There wasn't much, there was, you know, this conversation around there's going to be ghost kitchens and we just knew this digital world was going to explode. Then obviously come March of 2020, the pandemic hit and we had started putting all of our plans in place to, be, you know, make our, make, a, make ourselves more 
robust in the digital space. And we had just completed all of our master service agreements with the third parties, done all the things you have to do to get third parties set up, and we were ready. And we had just opened a handful of ghost kitchens, you know, putting our toe in the water there. And then the pandemic came came on and we, you know, obviously we were ready for what eventually happened. And we, we basically made up 10 years of ground on digital ordering. And so, so we, we, you know, we knew that that was going to be, you know, a big opportunity, but, but it became, you know, even bigger opportunity and because of our preparedness and our testing on the ghost kitchens i think it actually accelerated our growth during the pandemic but where a lot of chains contracted <clears throat> we went from 92 units to about 140 units in a really wow. really small period of time we will end we'll end this year at around 200 units for solid work so in a, unbelievable in a to me. in a three-year time frame we'll go from 92 units to about 300 units so what did you do to so then talk to me about that growth i mean that was a deliberate um that was deliberate on your part that hey we really want to grow this brand and well, so or was this just was there demand? Talk to me about so, that. So, yeah, the, the plan was to grow it. Now, when we all put our plans together and our goals together, and this has happened so many times in my life, you put together your goals and then something changes, but you get that you still end up getting there, but you get there a different way than you had planned. It was never our plan. Let, you know what? Let's hope that there's a world crisis <laughs> and that we have a, a pandemic and everyone has to stay home and that they want the food brought to them. Now, yeah. we, knew, we knew that in general, uh, particularly in the U.S., but in, in several parts of the world, we were getting lazier and lazier. We knew people were willing to pay to have food brought to them already, but yeah. maybe at work or occasionally at home in the evenings because I just don't want to get back out. But the pandemic you know, put us all in, in, at home for the most part. And so, you know, you, and, and quite frankly, you know, restaurants were closed and the only way we could get food. And so it really accelerated that part of the plan. The original plan was just to, you know, build brick and mortar. And we were, we were testing other venues such as ghost kitchens. We were testing venues we call it store within store. We actually put a kiosk inside a grocery store. We had already mm. opened a few of those. And then again, the, pan the grocery stores are open when restaurants were closed. Yeah. And sure. we, we, so we accelerated our store within a store program and started building more of our kiosk in grocery stores. And as grocery stores started closing their salad bars because they had to, Guess what? We got more and more phone calls from grocery chains saying, "Hey, yeah. we, we saw we saw that you guys are putting uh, full salad works, and would you consider, you know, let's do a test together?" And so, you know, that that part of the business evolved, and then obviously with the Ghost Kitchen partners, they exploded, and they they were, so they started adding more and more units as well. So, so it's sort of a it, it was sort of unplanned to grow this way. It was always planned to grow. Just we're, we're growing it a little bit differently than we expected. I love it. You know, one of the words uh, we heard so much about in the in the pandemic was pivot, right? And everybody gets sick of hearing the P word. And yeah. one of the things that I was uh, really outspoken about over the course of the pandemic was uh, that we shouldn't be using the pivot word. We should be talking about evolution. Um, and you said it yourself, right? We just, you know, that uh, the, the model evolved and, and what customers needed um changed because their their lives changed and all of that and so you were able to stay nimble uh, enough to do that which is always interesting to me when a when a company as as big as as yours um can stay nimble in order to do that was that um can you remember back when was the first uh, store within a store that the kiosk inside the supermarket when did that first one go in 2019 yeah so pre-pandemic yeah and we had built at that point we had built i think about three and yeah. then obviously you know it accelerated after that but it was really still just kind of a test you know yep yeah I, it, it's interesting to me because one of the things we do really poorly in the restaurant industry is think outside the box and reinvent ourselves and think about new business models that's why what's going on right now is so interesting personally to me um because the 
restaurant model has been harder and harder to make work for the last, I'll say, 20 years. It's it's gone in one direction. As rents go up and labor goes up and food costs now are through the roof, you know, it, it's we're all getting squeezed and there's only so much profit left. Um, but this idea that we can rethink, like you said, with digital, right? That people were lazy and they uh, value convenience and uh, they value convenience enough that they're willing to pay for it, uh, willing to pay more than than something else. And um, just being able to see that and then and deliver um, don't necessarily always go hand in hand. And especially with a big company, uh, being able to see that and be nimble enough to sort of course correct um, in, in real time is is impressive. Um, I know one of the things that you guys have done is also these ghost kitchens, and you sort of mentioned it a couple of times here. So uh, that's, I think, of particular interest, too, to the listeners. So I want to make sure we give plenty of time here. So I, I want to talk about I want to talk about ghost kitchens. I want to talk about how you guys have done ghost kitchens, how it got started, where it's at now, and where you're looking to go. So we started in ghost kitchens without you know obviously no one really had experience in ghost kitchens we were one of the really first ones to do it and so we we started with a just a, a salad works ghost kitchen there was nothing else in the kitchen but a but a salad works and it was a company owned you know ghost kitchen and we took the space built out a kitchen yep. put a manager in there hired employees just like you do on, on the street side right and so thinking that's yep. you know it's going to be more similar to that than not and so we we learned really quickly that that's just not the model that, that works you know there's only a certain percentage of of a, a brick and mortar store sales are going to be um you know third party which is really all, all you're able to do is third party and some online ordering and and so right. we realized it wasn't there just wasn't enough so I'm oh, sorry to there wasn't there just wasn't enough volume so, to make the you know, the numbers work. So the lesson there is there might be a handful of brands that can pull it off, but most brands aren't going to drive enough volume to pay a manager salary and all those things. So okay. so we realized you really needed more yep. brands inside the ghost kitchen to make it work. And if you could put similar type brands that use you know, similar type products and, and SKUs, then then it makes a lot more sense. And so, so now we realize okay. that um, a friend that really the mo- the model is a franchisee or an operator can go in and add several brands and make it work, right? And so you can, you know, you you have shared equipment. You have, you know, shared sink space, shared storage mm-hmm. space, etc. So you don't need, you can do it all in the same footprint that you could with a single unit. You can basically put enough equipment in the same amount yep. of space to do several brands. And, you know, you can, you know, you can, you can drive a lot more volume in it. And it actually, the, the unit level economics makes a lot more sense that way. And it works. And the bottom line, be, I mean, the, the basic idea being, um, you know, we don't care if you want, uh, if you want pizza, if you want a salad, if you want tacos, if you want Italian food, uh, you're going to get them all from here. So you're going to, all that revenue is going to be coming in the, the, the bare bones, even though right. those aren't your right. brands that you're, uh, right. that you're running. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have, yeah, you have, you have rent just like you do yep. on the street. Right. So you have to pay people just like you do on the street and you have your cost of goods. And so, but the more volume you can pump through, you cover those fixed costs. And so that's the idea, right? Just drive more volume. And that, that's the model that works. So, th- so then talk to me about that. I mean, I love, um, I always love the, the beauty of this podcast is that the listeners are all uh, really in it. And so we can get into the nuts and bolts. And I think they're really interested in uh, seeing how the sausage is made. Um, so you did that, you realized that didn't quite work. It, was that part of the impetus to start adding more brands under the portfolio so that you could franchise or license them f- to ghost kitchens? It was that was it was always the intention to add more brands so that we could get the efficiency and the buying power uh, because we had seen it done in other places. Yep. And the only difference was going to be our focus on good for you brands. So that was always the idea. And it was ne- it was never intended to pull them all together for ghost kitchens. Interesting. It just happened. It just happened to be a happy coincidence that that it Did works it end out. Up serving the more brands, as well. yeah, the more brands you own, the 
the more efficient that uh, ghost kitchen can be. So then talk to me about that over the last year or two. Has that been, do you find people are franchising multiple brands so that they can do this? Talk to me about, I guess, the evolution of uh, the ghost brands uh, or the the ghost kitchens that you've, that you've rolled out. So that it started with salad works as the first brand. And then we added fruit bowl to some of the ghost kitchens. And now we're adding garbanzo to some of those ghost kitchens. So the kind of the Mediterranean brands. And so we now have three, uh, brands and we we expect we have really good partners and we expect that those will continue will continue to add brands we'll have we have six brands to choose from and we're also creating uh, and haven't rolled them out yet but we've cre- we're creating other virtual only brands uh, that will work really well inside the, you know these ghost kitchens yeah, interesting. So it, that becomes part of the conversation to a prospective franchisee. Uh, you can do this, but we recommend you know bringing more brands under the umbrella. Yeah, right, right. So we have a brand inside SalaWorks today. It's a virtual brand called SoupWorks. We already sell soup, but we we created a new brand called SoupWorks, and people we we do decent volume with SoupWorks, and so yeah. you'll see more brands like that added to the portfolio really over the next several months. Pop Menu has reimagined the restaurant. They're breaking the mold of the menu, taking the kitchen doors off the hinges, and serving up their most comprehensive technology solution yet, Pop Menu Max. Comes with the previous ingredients you've heard me mention on the podcast, websites designed with SEO, marketing tools to keep you top of mind with guests, and of course, the patented interactive menu technology. This new recipe brings automated phone answering to the table, brings third-party online order aggregation, waitlisting, and more. Pop Menu's phone answering technology, for example, you heard it here uh, demoed on this show just a few weeks ago. That technology has your ringing phones covered, right? With the computer, it's artificial intelligence. The simple questions that usually keep your phone uh, tied up can now be handled by the computer without pulling a staff member away from your in-person hospitality. So no more missed calls, missed reservations, no more wasted time where people are asking for your hours. No more orders or missed revenue. That's just the beginning. You have a passion for food. Pop Menu has a passion for technology. Together, it's a recipe for restaurant success. Now, even more digital ingredients are in their technology pantry, and Pop Menu is helping restaurants attract, engage, remarket, and transact with their guests on a whole new level. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month. Plus, you lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. Again, that's $100 off your first month by visiting popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy. That link is in the show notes. So then talk to me about the future of, I mean, obviously you see this is where it's going. Convenience isn't going anywhere. Um, So many of us are are at home. I work almost exclusively from home now. My wife works exclusively from home and uh, our story is not unique. That affects a lot of other people. So talk to me about, because I'm endlessly fascinating in, fascinated in trending and, and what's going on in the world. And obviously, consumer behavior dictates you know business solutions. So how do you think about this or how, how are you thinking about this? Well, not everyone believes this, but I strongly believe that we, we, the, the digital world uh, and the convenience factor are not going to go away. Um, Some people believe that it will contract and people will start going back out again. I believe we are all communal as humans and we want to spend time with our friends and our family. We will go back out and we are, we're starting to see that. But guess what? If you look at the digital sales compared to the digital sales, we looked at this last week in depth across the portfolio and our digital sales have gone up and you would have, you know, people have the hypothesis would, it would come down a little bit, but it's always be higher than it was pre pandemic, but come down a bit. Ours hasn't as, as you look at pure dollars, we're still selling more things digitally than we did a year ago and people are coming back in the store. So business is good uh, because I believe, I believe both things are happening. I believe people are going back out. And I believe there are still people who want stuff brought to them. And it may be the same person. 
<laughs> well, so what's really interesting is that as the data starts coming in and we see, okay, on average, people are spending or, you know, bringing food in, takeout and delivery one to two times a week. Like, like that's, that's huge. That was, you know, it's all, it's more than uh, twice what it was pre-pandemic. And, and I think it's simply because, not because they suddenly got the idea, but I think it's easier. There are more options and, and I think it will go. And when you look at other parts of the world, uh, certainly places in Asia, um, they value, they've, they have valued convenience uh, way higher than us uh, for the last 20 years. And it's a much bigger part of the restaurant industry uh, over there than it is here. And the idea being that, you know, even if we did half of what they ended up doing, it's still five times, you know, what that, that part of the economy is now. Right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's huge. People want what they want when they want it. And now they've, come to expect it. What's really interesting is that over the course of the pandemic, um, now it's, now we put all the food into one bucket and tell me if this is how I view it. Tell me if you see it differently, but now it's not just restaurants competing with the restaurant down the street, right? It's not just in a food court going, okay, which one do you want? But now it's, do we want to go out at all? Do we just want to bring it in? Do we want to cook it in? Do we want to get a at home meal kit? Do we want to, I mean, now there's this company wonder, right? A little food truck and brings it uh, brings the food and it makes it actually out on the curb and then they just deliver you hot food with the idea being that you know hot food cooked and then sitting in somebody's you know back seat for 30 minutes while it gets to you doesn't taste particularly good but they send a little food truck to you they make the food for you right out front and it sits in that container for all of two minutes you know they tell you when they text you when they're right out front it's basically like hey get the dinner table ready and then they come up and ring the doorbell when it's all ready and you just put it right down on the plate it doesn't have to sit in a box for 20 or 30 minutes you know there are all kinds of interesting solutions um that are coming out you know bred out of necessity sure yeah we talk about you know it, you mentioned it earlier but it's per, we used to talk about customization it's like i want my meal prepared exactly how i want it i want to cut the onions and extra tomatoes or cut the tomatoes and extra onions or whatever and and that's customization but personalization is i want it exactly how i want it as i did before but i want it brought to me and delivered to me at 9 p.m at night because now i've decided to start eating later because i can and restaurants close but ghost kitchens don't and i want it brought to me at 9 p.m at my house so i can continue watching netflix and and have my meal and that's true personalization so it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation right and i've, I've read a bunch of uh really uh important people write about this this idea of that you know um that the shopping experience has been personalized right amazon's done that for the last 20 years that um that amazon is a is a is a is an, a, an enjoyable experience simply because i show up and they just show me all the stuff that I want or that I think I might want or that they think I might want. That if, if I logged into your Amazon, I'm not going to be that interested in it. Likewise, you're going to log into mine and be like, this isn't really a store for me. But my Amazon store is a, is a place where I want to be. And, you know, can the food industry do more of that or, you know, how much longer until our um, until our guests will come to expect that? I mean, it's definitely like we said, look how much it's evolved in two and a half years. Seems like a decade, by the way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look how much has evolved and continues to evolve. And and absolutely, you know, as we as we take a peek around the corner, we we see more and more personalization for sure. So talk to me about so in these ghost kitchens, and I guess we have to have a conversation about where your locations are and where these ghost kitchens are going in, and are they filling a separate need, and how will they continue to grow? How, how do you think about that? Just just that the actual location, the geography. Yeah, we, we look at it as you know we we want our meals to be enjoyed by everyone everywhere right and so today you know building a brick and mortar restaurant takes quite a bit of time going into a ghost kitchen doesn't take that much time a lot of times the operations are already set up and you just plug your brand into it right and you're up and you're up and running in no time at all and so you can go into entire markets and and fill the need and and have you know the guests get to enjoy our food high quality food that is good for you from day one and without having to go in and do all the real estate work and deal with all the real estate brokers and i mean you plug into a market and so you know 
Florida, I'll give you the example of Florida. We don't have a lot of SolidWorks in Florida today. We'll probably have 30 to 40 SolidWorks by this time next year wow. in Florida wow. because we're, we're doing uh, most of them, not all of them, but most of them will be virtual. will wow. be a ghost kitchen. Yeah. So then talk to me about the challenges here about marketing a brand, you know, raising awareness, driving, um, driving need for for a brand that's all on virtual. How do you guys think about that? So, I mean, it's different, right? So, so you know, the only way to really market the brand, you obviously, people have chosen to not go to the grocery store. They've chosen not to go to a brick and mortar. They've chosen, okay, I'm going to go have it delivered. So there's only a handful of ways I can do that. And usually it's through one of the third party uh you know, Uber Eats, Grubhub, or DoorDash, or, or, one, yep. or one of the regional uh, third-party delivery. So then you're you're a ca- then they have a captive audience, right? And so then where do you show up on, you know, on their site, right? And so, you know, are you popular enough on their site to be, you know, are you, or are you paying your way up to 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 the, with free delivery, or you know, how yep. do you get? that algorithm to send more people to you and so so you're having to really market different than you did in the past and you're having to think about things differently than you did in the past and do so do you turn on your you know your search engine marketing for a market where there's a ghost kitchen and no brick and mortar stores just to get your name out there more and so those are all the things that you have to rethink and and it's it's a completely different approach so can you, because t- I'd love, again, in the hopes to, you know, in the hopes of understanding how the sausage is made, can you talk to me a little bit about how you guys make some of those yeah, decisions I mean, you just talked yeah. about? How do you, uh, waiving delivery and paying f- for the extra, you know, paying the extra commission to get listed higher and, you know, search engine, uh, you know, paid search options. Talk to me about what you guys are doing, because that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, so we're all learning, right? But we, we're learning that um, the more people use you on a site the higher you rank so how do you get more people to use you well free delivery is a a tool and paying a higher percent to get but once you're up there then you're sort of you know you rank higher and so you have to almost look at it as marketing or an investment spending right yeah and so we do we do all of those both of those things and you really and you really need to do it we've also learned you need to do it early when you're when you first get on the site, you need to do it quickly so you can move up. And it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you move up, the more you get ordered. And so, so, and, and the opposite is if you're on there for a while and you haven't done those things and you're going to move down. So, so then talk to, I, I love this and I really appreciate you being willish, willing to share the details here. Cause, um, because uh, I think it's really uh, important. I mean, so really, and the way I talk to you know the clients that I work with is is really thinking about those commission fees as a customer acquisition cost, which uh, is something again from the retail side. And this is where I, I guess maybe we'll bring it back around to what you learned, you know, from all the the food retail side of things. But uh, it's something we don't often think about as a as a restaurant owner, right? come up with a cool space, cool menu, we hire a bunch of people, we turn on the lights, we unlock the door, we hope people will come in, we show them a good enough time, we hope they'll come back. Um, but there's a cost to all of it. There's a there's a cost to acquiring a new customer. Um, so talk to me about how you guys used to think about acquisition costs, retention, basket size on the food retail side, and how that has sort of informed what you do now on the, the restaurant side. I mean, it is... It is different because your interaction with the guest is non-existent, right? You don't, the only interaction you have is, you know, you want hot food to show up hot and cold food to show up cold. So packaging packaging becomes really important, right? And so, especially like you said, it could be riding around in someone's car. You may be the third drop. And so you want your hot food to be hot and you want, and we sell a lot of cold food. We want your cold food to be cold. And so, so, yeah. um, so that, and then hopefully if you're doing a really good job, you put some sort of message in there that says, Hey, you know, thanks for, thanks for choosing uh salad works today. And here's a, either a, some sort of bounce back, come back, you know, next week, 
uh, come back within the next, you know, do the do the CVS thing. Come back within the next four days, and you get a discount, or you or yep. you can just thank people or give them a little a little su- uh, surprise, right? You know, so something they didn't order a free cookie or whatever, you know. So, so mm-hmm. there are definitely definitely ways to treat your guests without actually being able to engage them. So that's something that's missing. That you know, these are all things you have to start thinking through when you when you look at. Um, you know, we're doing X millions of meals per week and, and now a third, clearly a third or more are, we're not having any engagement with that guest at all because they're, we're not. Isn't that incredible that for the longest time, you know, a meal at a restaurant is, let's say 20 minutes at a fast casual, it's an hour, two hours plus at a full service restaurant. But it's one long transaction. Like as a customer, as a guest, we sit down expecting to be sold to, right? Because we're going to order. Right. We're going to order a drink. We're going to order an appetizer. We're going to order another drink. We're going to order an entree. We're going to order a dessert. We're, like we're expecting to order a series of things. It's one long transaction. And how we all took that for granted pre-pandemic, the, the, the FaceTime that we have with our, um, with our consumer, with the consumer, and the sort of influence that we have over them, um, at every single point throughout that transaction. And now when it's all done virtually and we have to sort of put these things in place to try to you know, get the extras added to the check, to increase the check average, to uh, get them to come back and all of that, what a, um, I just, what, a, what a strange place that we all end up being in. We're, we're closer to e-commerce than we are to hospitality. Exactly, and you have to really think about, before you didn't think that much about the wireframe and the wireframe is how your, you know, your site yeah. is set up and it, it really matters. You know, it, it matters what the food photography looks like. It matters what words you use. Right. And it is interesting because in our restaurants, the name, let's just use salad works as the example. It's called salad works. You would think people come to get salads, but uh, digitally online, we actually sell a lot of sandwiches. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, they come looking for a salad, but apparently the sandwiches look really good because we sell a lot of sandwiches <laughs> online. And so, so it's just it's just interesting uh, what you learn, and obviously based on what you learn, you make you, you make changes, and like we were talking about earlier, you continue to evolve. So I want to talk a little bit about again consumer behavior because it's changing so much. We've all, our lives have been upended and. Now, as it gets put back to normal, quote unquote, it's being put back in a whole different shape. It's a whole different pattern. So you had mentioned paid search and how you think about search. Are you finding that more and more people are ordering on directly on Google rather than going to DoorDash, Uber Eats, et cetera? I mean, we we actually like Google, Google order. And so you'll see all of our brands really within the next 60 days will have been will completed where you know you go to google today and you can click on the little picture of the phone and you can call it and you now can go and click order and you can order from directly from the restaurant right and so we'll complete that over the next couple of months where you can actually order through google google and we like that we actually like that it's actually uh it's cheaper (laughs) because yeah you know so (laughs) So, you know, you, it is worthwhile to pay a little bit on the pay-per-click to get your name at the top so people will find you and then they can order directly through that versus going, you know, going to your Uber Eats app and paying a higher commission. I find that uh, restaurants, for the most part, uh, I think really uh, underutilize uh, uh, paid advertising on sites like Google. And I just, especially when you look at the kind of money that's spent for other industries, uh, and if you type in, I always make the joke uh, when I give these presentations sometimes to restaurants. I said, you know, I go into Google right now, and I say wherever city we're in. I said, you know, but type in, you know, best steakhouse in New York City, and you type it in, and nobody has put ads against that. Uh, hundreds of steakhouses in New York City, all vying for very important dollars, and nobody, nobody's entering a bid. Nobody's even trying to get that. Put in here, best sushi in New York City. I mean, no matter what city you're in, type it in. I'm always amazed um, that nobody, that nobody's buying that spot. Type in best restaurant in New York City and nobody has that space. Like that, that it's so, it's just there for the, there for the taking. It's um Yeah, when you can amazing. actually pay, 
you can pay, do the pay per click, so people don't even you don't even pay for sure. it unless somebody clicks on it, right? It's a, so. it's a, it's amazing to me that nobody's even trying to say, hey, listen, people are in and they want a really great restaurant. What are the best restaurants in New York City? You could pop up now. You're only going to get so many clicks from that, but you're going to get a lot, right. a lot of people when you look at the, right. um, you know, when you run the the keyword tool, you see how many people are running, you know, looking for best restaurant in New York. Uh, but it's a lot of search activity there, um, and you your place would pop up over and over and over again. I'm, yeah, I'm sort of. Yeah. And you guys are doing you guys are doing a lot of that, obviously. We're doing it's targeted, right? Yeah. So it's expensive to do it everywhere, but it's very targeted. Yeah. Excellent. So, talk to me about. Um, I do want to go back to the retail side of things. Talk to me about the differences in those industries. What are the things we do really well in restaurants that you wish that the retail side adopted? And then I'm more interested in the other side, which is what are the things that the retail side does really well that restaurants do pretty poorly that we can um, that we can improve upon? Restaurants do an amazing job. The best restaurants do an amazing job of taking care of their guests. I mean, you're welcoming them into your home, basically, and you're showing them a good time and you're giving them great service and it's very one-on-one even in a fast casual it's still even if you're building the salad going down the line it's still a very much a one-on-one interaction and in retail it, retail has been set up to be self-serve now so you can go in and actually leave the grocery store without any human interaction whatsoever it's my <clears throat> it's my favorite part about shopping <laughs> yeah, so you go through the grocery store, you pick your items, you check yourself out. Who would have thought 30 years ago we'd be checking ourselves out? And you leave and you get, you never interact with anyone. And that's, that doesn't really happen in, in, a, in a restaurant. A restaurant is very much in, you're engaging your guests. And I, I believe service levels are much, much higher on the restaurant side. Uh, on, the, on the retail side, what they do really well is they mine data. So they look at everything purchased and then associations of if you purchase this, then that. And if you purchase this, then that, then it's also easy to sell you an additional thing. And so, so then that's why you see the, you know, the, the clip strips of lighters next to the charcoal, for example. Yep. So, so, you know, you know, you're going to buy charcoal lighter fluid and then you, the lighters aren't usually in that section, so you, you strip some lighters in that section. So they do a, a fantastic job of knowing if they run an ad or a special, what people actually buy uh, in that basket. So the reason you see Coke on sale you know, so often is people who come in to buy the Coke usually buy, especially if it's on the, around the holiday, they'll buy the T-bone steaks and other things along with it. You just got to get them into your store versus someone else because they're going to go buy T-bones or something to cook out for this holiday that's coming up, Mother's Day is coming up or whatever. So they, they plan very aggressive things around that. So they do, and they know based on years of data what's going to work and what's not going to work because they've also tried things that didn't work. So, so there, everything is, is incredibly, um, you know, well planned out because of the business intelligence they have. We don't have that in the restaurant industry. We're, we're chasing it all the time. We have our technology, uh, and, and our, I think our technology stack at wow works is one of the best in the industry. Mm-hmm. And we are, with light years behind <laughs> the retail industry when it comes to the amount of information we have. We have a lot of information, but we don't have nearly as much. And, and, and really, that information is power to make decisions. So then talk to me about what you, what's, on your, uh, what's in your priority list then, your, your data priorities. What, what do you wish you knew, and what then would you be able to do with that? I love this conversation. I think it is, I mean, I, I think the... Business intelligence at retail is so predictive and accurate that we don't have that, you know, because it, we can predict a lot of things, but not to the point where, uh, the, you know, artificial intelligence says really to, at the level where, uh, like in retail, they actually can predict 
you know, down to the consumer. What and some some of the some of the chains have down to uh, that they have so much data on you that you used to buy dog food from them and you stopped, so they know you're either either your dog died or you're cheating. You know, so <laughs> so they so they'll send you electronically a coupon for dog food because they realize that hey. You know, it's either you send them a condolence card for the dog, or you send them a, a coupon for dog food. <laughs> and so, right, right, so right. we don't have that type of data today that talks about you know one to one marketing. Now we're getting there, but you know, we we use um, like so many people in our industry, we use a a group called Punch for our um, for a loyalty program, and and the the artificial intelligence that Punch has, you know, they've hired all these AI uh, PhD uh, specialists that are helping write their programs today, but we're, we're getting to the point where you know it becomes a little bit more predictive, and certain offers motivate certain people. So, so I may be motivated by quality; someone else may be motivated by price. And so, don't send me, you know, I only care about price. So, don't send me. Any, I don't care about the quality. Just send me coupons, right? Mm-hmm. Or I don't care about. The, the price. I, I care about the ingredients. So only tell me the story about how good this food is for me and how right. it's, you know, I look at food as fuel. So just send me um, things about how not all natural and that the, that the beef is only grain fed or whatever. Those are the stories that get me um, to come to your restaurant more often. And so, so that type of of that is starting to show up, but it's really not very prevalent in, in the restaurant industry today. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's interesting. How do we? How do we? So, I was going to say how, how do we get there, but I think so much of the challenge is that um, so many operators here in the restaurant industry don't even understand how other industries are utilizing that sort of data, or that they even get that data, and that they're able to take action on it. Um, so it's simply a, an awareness thing, making enough, uh, <laughs> making enough operators, uh, you know, angry enough that, Hey, listen, there's uh, other industries get this kind of data and they put it to, they put it into practice to great effect. And you should be angry that, uh, that there's no one out there doing this for us. I mean, wh- what's the, how do we get there? Well, it, it is. So here's, here's a big difference between retail also and, and restaurants. I mean, retail companies are huge and do tremendous volume and have huge budgets and there aren't i mean you take you can take the biggest restaurant companies in the world and they're not as big as you know small retailers and so the budgets aren't as big so you almost need on the vendor supplier side you need them to get bigger because they are they're the ones that really need to invest because you know even though we're a larger operator compared to, you know, some of those, you know, independents, we are really small still. I mean, we'll be at, we'll close the year at, just, you know, over 400 units, but it, that's really small. We don't have the kind of budgets that, you know, the big, the big retail chains have. And so, uh, and, and quite frankly, our vendors, you know, they, they sell to tens of thousands of restaurants. And so they are now getting to the size where they can afford, you know, to put that kind of technology in place. And so, yeah. you know, versus us trying to build it in-house ourselves. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's funny because I work with so many, I've spent a, a good deal of my career uh, working in fine dining. And one of the things that I've said is that um, we've had all the people say, oh, it's all about the data. And I said, we, we've had data for 25 years, um, w- which we have. We haven't had it in a way that we could take action on it easily. And, um, you know, on the restaurant side, on the, uh, the full service restaurant side, um, it's been exciting to see a lot of that happen now where you start getting, you know, reservation systems that talk to the POS systems that really double as a um, as a CRM platform. So we are able, because it's just something as simple as like, hey, if anybody spends $200 on a bottle of wine or more, I want to know. If somebody spends $800 a bottle of wine or more, I want to know because I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, that for 25 years we could know when they were, you know, what they liked. So when they came back in, we could take better care of them. Um, but we couldn't necessarily use that 
uh, information to get them back in, certainly not in a in an efficient automated way, which is now starting to happen on the the full service restaurant side, but certainly not um, not at the level of sophistication as what you're talking about on the retail side. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, and you're right on the fine dining side. You certainly if you come into a restaurant pretty often and you spend a large amount, you don't want them to every time you walk in. Is this your first time to dine with us? It's like, uh, no, I've just spent, you know, $10,000 with you in the last six months. So, yeah, it's no, it's not my first time to dine with you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but I'd, I'd say we're getting to the point um, where I see in the future we'll be able to do more predictive analysis for sure. Yeah, and this goes back to what you were talking about earlier. I mean, you're in the customization business because it's come in and build your own salad and we'll we'll make it for you. Um, but going one further to the personalization, like you said, what are the things that this consumer or this bunch of consumers really cares about? They really care about ingredients. These people really care about, you know, uh, flavor and diversity of flavor. These people do believe about quality right. and um, you yeah, know, being they, able to speak they care, differently. They care about your social mission. You know, they... They really do. There, there are there are guests that only will either dine out or shop at places that you know have have either strong ties to the community or have social awareness or trying Listen. to do trying to do things around diversity or whatever. And they they care. People care. Yeah. I, well, now because people learn how to vote with their with their dollars. I mean. Uh, you know, now look, you can you can do a you know socially responsible investing. You can invest in a series of funds that are committed to climate change and all of. I mean, you know, two decades ago, who would have thought that that was going to be a product that would right. have been very very uh, successful? Right. Um, it's interesting how it how it how it changes and and what's important to the consumer. So what are so what are the next steps? I mean, you said you you've had pretty significant growth over the last several years and you said even just in florida you're going to see 30 to 40 you know new units uh, by this time next year talk to me about how now the other brands because uh, we haven't really talked about those how those are being folded into the portfolio what's the plan for them and how do they work in concert with the uh, the existing brands like salad works that are already in the portfolio uh -huh. so each of the brands have their own, you know, unique personality and brand story and are positioned slightly differently in the marketplace. Uh, but they're all positioned as good for you brands. But, you know, where, where do we, how can we take advantage of having a Mediterranean brand and a salad brand? And so what we realized is what we, we're, we sell chicken, you know basically everywhere you know there's there's so there's proteins we sell salads most of our so we have you know we have a lot of experience with salads um our fruit bowl which is an acai smoothie concept uh we sell a lot of fruit we also sell fruit in in our salad so we so it gives us a tremendous amount of buying power and we have worked really hard to get on one technology stack so i mean quite frankly we just get better deals when you when you go to a vendor and you have the buying power of you know 400 soon to be 500 restaurants versus 90 you get a better you get better rates and so you know it's 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 better for the franchise partners it's you know stronger unit level economics and those stronger unit level economics help us grow faster and 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 better and stronger so so that's the advantage of these these brands coming together uh, we can you know we see that when we buy a brand they usually have a whole new set of vendors <laughs> and so we either <laughs> we take a look at their vendors and we either have a better contract with them and maybe we move the other brands to those vendors or hmm. we have a better contract and we can you know overnight switch their vendors and save them money and so it's every time we buy a brand, it benefits all the other brands. There's also the co-branding aspect. And so, so we started putting fruitables inside of SaladWorks because it's a smaller footprint. And we, I think as of today, we're right, we're hovering a right around 10 co-brands with fruitables inside of SaladWorks. So there's a future for that as well. That will continue, yeah. you imagine? 
Yeah, I do. And then uh, we own two Mediterranean brands. We own a brand called The Simple Greek, um, and we own a brand called Garbanzo Mediterranean Fresh. Very similar. And they have very similar skews, different recipes. And so you can also have a Garbanzo that has a Simple Greek virtual brand. And so you can order Simple Greek, and it comes out of a Garbanzo kitchen, but it's a, it's the Simple Greek recipe, and vice versa. How many new units are opening up that have multiple brands under the same roof? Or put another way, how many salad works are opening that are only salad works with no other? It seems to me like this is a this is a key part of your future is I think, bringing I think a lot of things will, under the same roof. Yeah, I think you'll see in the future today solidworks can open it'll still open as solidworks but more and more are opening with fruitables in the future and so as you build the pipeline um i think you'll see more and more brands open with let's just take solidworks as an example we'll open yep. the solidworks with a fruitable inside with likely five or six digital vir- virtual only brands yeah. Yeah. That seems to me, I mean, over the course of this conversation, that seems to me to it makes absolute sense. I mean, is this, can we extrapolate that out? Because, you know, we talked before we uh, hit record, I was saying that the a lot of the audience members for this show, a lot of the listeners are independent operators. And um, is that sort of the path forward for perhaps many of them to really think about bringing other brands under their... Well, I think, yeah, I think they can either create their own brand or they can you know go and actually get a brand like ours that will so we will actually franchise virtual only to a brick and mortar store as well that's something that's that's new going forward with us yeah so that that was one of my questions here because you've got again you got the infrastructure already in you've got the equipment the you know paying for the lights the gas the people all of that so you have done that and you will continue to do that as well We, we have done it through one of our partners and we will will continue to do it but i think you'll see more and more of that in the future as well yeah i think it's funny because over the last two years i mean uh people have had a lot to contend with but i think there are people who have tried it and there are people who have sort of like stuck on the sidelines and and haven't really dipped their toe in yet um and and i wonder how um how long that can last because there's uh, th- there seems to be a lot of uh, value in doing that bringing other brands in and saying like hey we don't care if you come in and eat our food we don't care if you order our food order any of this other food and we're, we'll be just as happy yeah i mean i think especially if you're ordering from your couch you don't you don't care where it's being made as long as it shows up and right. the hot food's hot and the cold food's cold and it's delicious uh, and you have a great experience i don't i don't think you care if it was made in the back of another restaurant because it's you know we all we all share very similar kitchen equipment. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the truth? Uh, listen, I appreciate yeah. this time. We're coming to the end of our time here, and I want to be respectful. Um, uh, last words here. Tell people uh, where they can learn more about uh, everything that WowWorks is working on, some more about you, the company, franchising opportunities, all of that. And, uh, and then I'll ask you for some final words of wisdom to the listeners. So, I mean, you, you can you can find us at wowworksusa.com, and there's only one W in the middle, so it's W-O-W-O-R-K-S-U-S-A.com. So wowworks.com, or you can go to any of the brands, uh, fruitables.com, eatgarbanzo.com, sourworks.com, thesimplecreek.com, and find find our brands. And you can usually navigate from one of theirs to the Wowworks site and find our other brands as well. And so they can reach out. If there's anything here that, that seems to make sense, they can you know submit and chat with somebody and see if it's a, yeah. see if it's a good fit. Yeah. Um, all right, final words of wisdom to uh, to an industry that's been battered over the last two years and some change. I mean, I think that you know we're we're in a great business. I mean, people, we all have to eat. Um, you know, you you have to really differentiate yourself somehow. Um, and so, you know, make sure you do a great job with service. Make sure you do a great job with food. I mean, that's the sort of the green fees to getting into the business. If you don't have good food, nobody's going to come anyway. At least more than once. Yep. And I think, you know, um, learn about the digital world because it's it's 37% of all of our sales are digital today. So learn about it. Um, take, take a chance. Dip your toe in it. There are fees, and you do have permission to charge more. The guest was willing to pay more 
so if you're not doing digital get on the digital train because you're going to get left behind if you don't um and I, you know i think in general uh, you know stay positive because the restaurant industry is not going anywhere and we're going to continue to be strong um you know there's so many great restaurant stories tell your story so you know your brand has a story uh tell your story until people hear it i love it i think that's uh i think that's really good advice uh listen kelly i appreciate your time we're going to include a bunch of those links in the show notes uh make it easy for people to click and go appreciate your time thank you very much for being here you bet thank you Again, I want to thank Kelly Roddy for taking time out of his day to sit and chat with us. All of the links are in the show notes. If you want to find out more about these brands, what they're doing for any reason whatsoever, you're going to find those links in the show notes. I appreciate you being here again. If you're interested in learning more about my group coaching programs, uh, schedule a free 45-minute strategy session uh, by visiting restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Grab some time on my calendar. We'll set up a we'll set up a call for 45 minutes. I'll get to know you. You'll get to know more about me and about the programs I run. And let's just see if it's a good fit. Again, thank you for being here. I will see you next time.